Well, thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcomed by Jeff Oldham, who is the co-founder of Informed Consulting, and Hassan Azar, who is a healthcare advisor. Thank you both for being here. So why don't we start by telling everybody what you both do? What's a little bit about your background and then a little bit about your company? So I started in the healthcare world. It's... Um... I, I worked in hospital management and Blue Cross, and I um, accidentally became a benefits leader at large Fortune 100 companies for about 20 years and uh, became was very good at buying solutions and implementing things and, and driving change at uh, the employer level. Uh, and now for the past couple of years, I've been advising and helping build the companies that are now selling to employers. So um, on the different side of the healthcare table. My background the first 12 years was working with uh, major health plans and, and insurance companies, primarily with uh, large employers, national accounts. And then the next 12 years I spent at a benefit administration communication SaaS company. And the latter part of my career there, um, I was uh, fortunate to um, be assigned to create an ecosystem for them. So um um, at, at a time when that was sort of a new phenomenon, if you could imagine that, uh, I had a team which looked at uh, early stage fintech, um, uh, digital health and insure tech companies. And we had a criteria for evaluating them, you know, relative to product market fit and funding and what have you. And uh, my team just came across the same question over and over again that a lot of CEOs couldn't answer. And that was, hey, you've created this great digital health product. Uh, who do you know at Cigna? Uh, who do you know at United? And uh, we'd always get that uh, uh, deer caught in the headlights look uh, around, what do you mean? I've created a great product. People are going to want to buy it. Um, and so during the pandemic, we set up informed consulting because we want to do this full time uh, work with Young young companies, typically first-time CEOs, and uh, try to help get their product distributed to the right markets. Yeah, with that uh, helpful background, Hassan and, and Jeff, it's amazing, and you guys are a, a great team. What I'd love to understand a little bit is the big picture of what do you think both think uh, the employers are actually looking for? And, you know, that may help us, uh, our audience, kind of figure out what's the big picture solutions that many of your companies are trying to solve. Sure. So employers have been looking for the same aspects of the triple aim for the past 15 or 20 years. So they're trying to improve their costs. They're trying to improve the experience for their employees and their family members. And ultimately, they're trying to get to better health outcomes. So um, employers have been talking about it for, for a long time. Um, and they asked their stakeholders to focus on those same things. And so when, when any new solution is coming into an employer ecosystem or trying to enter that market, um, they have to have to be thinking about, all right, how am I helping those three things for an employer at an employer level? What am I doing differently? How am I going to impact their cost? Because the last thing a benefit leader needs to do is either add friction for their employees. So get, you know, get in the way of them getting to better health or um, driving up costs or not really helping with health outcomes. So employers have a lot of choices and they have a lot of solutions um, ready to use. So um, they really need to show some impact for the employer. 
Yeah, the only thing I would add is what's unique about employers these days is uh, one, you know, you've got four to five generations in the workforce. And so, you know, when I first entered the workforce, I think we had five benefits. Um, but now, you know, depending upon Gen Z, you know, all the way to boomers, um, there's a multitude of different needs that these folks have. Um, and as a result, um, employers are constantly having to look at new solutions in the market. Um, I think secondarily, you have a lot of employers that work in specific industries that that can't compete with base salaries alone. They have to have um, richer uh, benefits that more closely align to their population as a way to recruit and retain employees. So um, certainly Hassan hit upon the sort of the, the, the clinical the clinical and the financial aspects. And then as an employer, you know, they very much need this as a, as a mechanism in their uh, battle for war for talent. It also seems like this is something that there were so many challenges whenever people were picking benefits, whether you were the employee picking benefits, the employer choosing benefits, just trying to figure out the world because there were new regulations from whenever it was Obamacare and then the push to get to consumer driven health plans and get them to use HSAs effectively. And then the pandemic happened and everything happened from remote work. So how are we getting to these people? Jeff, I think it was you who said, you know, now you can no longer see these people in the lunchroom the way that you knew. might have just said, OK, come down at noon and bring your own lunch and we'll tell you about what we're doing for OE this year. It's not that way anymore. And additionally, with all of the different people in the workforce now and the evolving social landscape of things, it seems like there are so many different components that people need to both be buying for and building for. So what are some of those things that you're seeing? Some, What would you tell these people who are either both of them, both ends, when people are looking at benefits to evaluate, you can't say, okay, it's just for these people who are now 45 to 65 you have to build a product that's going to fit all of these people or a vast majority of it. And then also you need to be buying for those same people. It just seems like a very complicated environment that needs people like the both of you to help them wade through. Right. Yeah. And, and running benefits, it's a tough role because the benefit leaders, they're tackling pretty major problems. They're responsible for millions or hundreds of millions. And in some cases, billions of dollars of expenses. And, they have to find out, okay, what, what are my problems that, that are not just a problem today, but these are long-term problems that I have to tackle and they could really only tackle a few things at a time. And so they, they prioritize and um, you know, sometimes it's based on condition, it's based on a segment of the population or trying to engage people. Uh, and you're right, and a lot of employers put in some solutions during the pandemic that were, um, you know, bringing more services to the remote employees, really helping fill in some gaps, um, doing a lot of great things, whether it was caregiving or family forming or helping with DNI or social determinants of health. Um, and and those are those are going to stay after the pandemic ends and really have changed how the kind of the value proposition for how employees um, are treated in a large corporation. So you know a lot, a lot, of, a lot of good new changes have been coming to the benefit space. And I think benefit leaders have to, or sellers to benefit leaders really have to understand that um, they're competing against, you know, other priorities that the company may have. Um, they're they're not going to, they don't have an endless stream of money and an endless list of things that they're willing to buy. So um, new solutions have to fit into that puzzle of, all right, how do I 
really improve this experience for my employees. And that's kind of what heads of HR are facing right now. So. Yeah, with the uh, NFL draft around the corner, I think the analogy I would use is benefit leaders are almost like general managers of uh, NFL teams. And what I mean by that is, you know, right now, NFL general managers are evaluating new players for the draft and and trying to identify players that will fit the need of their respective teams. Benefit leaders are uh, the more progressive ones are always looking to ad- identify, you know, new and emerging markets and technologies that are entering that that could possibly help their workforce. Um, and all of this sounds good and positive. And like a GM, if they select a partner or two that delivers, uh, you know, value and ROI and reduces cost, then they're a hero. And um, chances are they're recruited by another NFL team. But like a GM, if they make the wrong decisions and allocate a lot of money and resources and time into a product that doesn't li- deliver, uh, similar to an NFL GM, uh, their job's in jeopardy. So employers are dealing with everything that Hassan said, and I, and I would even say the stakes are higher now um, because there's so many different solutions and the variants of workforce. Employers have to be looking, but they also have to be mindful of the consequences if they don't work. That's a really interesting analogy, Jeff. I appreciate what both of you are saying. One one point you mentioned in terms of the workforce, I wonder how much of it is that the, uh, are they having the same challenges that healthcare providers are having with respect to recruiting workforce, retaining workforce, seeing burnout in the workforce? And how does that relate to maybe some of the solutions you're trying to bring to them? Yeah, I'm um I mean, it's it's for the first time in U.S. history, um, you know, you've got five generations. And I, I would say that's actually, um, in my mind, uh, driven uh, a lot of good um, relative to new products entering the market. So, you know, whether it's um, a great percentage of, of women are um, having children later, and that's either because of... Uh, college student loan debt, um, um, you know, trouble securing their first home, uh, and then having, you know, children later. And so then, you know, the influx of fertility solutions uh, for women has been, you know, incredible. You know, secondly, on the other side of that, there's been an enormous infusion of caregiving companies because, um, um, you've got older workforce that are taking care of their older, you know, parents or siblings or, or what have you. And so I would say that the dynamics have actually allowed new entrants into the marketplace that are great and really needed and um, would will um, help large employers or all employers really, I think, recruit and retain talent, which is always, you know, the 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 number one driving force of the of the productivity of a company. And so, Jeff, whenever you're working with some of these new companies, you have a lot of success in various areas from digital health to insure tech to fintech. And then you're working with these people to help them get into these ecosystems, which can be a really challenging thing. And as you said, the market has shifted a little bit, so it can be tricky to make sure you're getting in front of those people. So what is some of the advice that you're giving to these young companies and how are you helping them make sure that they're properly positioned to get in front of the people that they need to? Yeah, one of the things we have is uh, is um, 
you know, don't don't make a big guess um, or uh, recognizing the world I came from. Uh, if if you can uh, go get the answers to the test, and what I mean by that is is don't make any assumptions. Um, I think it's really important that uh, a new product or a new CEO, you know, works with folks like um, Hassan and myself to uh, go to various different markets to identify. Uh, which markets are the best fit for your product, which markets are uh, perhaps even more open to being an early adopter, you know, things of that nature. And uh, go ask the questions, don't make assumptions. And uh, I, I think it's critical that these early stage companies do that. Maybe they've created a product that they thought would be distributed through hospital systems, when in actuality, health plans need them or PEO needs them, um, you know, or even an EAP company. Uh, don't limit yourself, but then also to me, don't make broad assumptions uh, and putting, you know, all of your, your effort and your, and your cash into just one industry, um, you know, in working with folks like myself and Hassan, you know, we've been doing this a long time so we can go and talk to ex executives around a new particular product, you know, is it of interest? Is it in their budget? Things of that nature. And I, I think that's incredibly helpful before, you know, creating a massive marketing plan and getting your product out. Yeah. And I would just say, I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs that may have a great idea or concept need to test it and validate it with potential buyers and, and, and figure out is there a product market fit and and get some advice early on instead of just building something with a, um, some some funding behind you and assuming that the market's going to buy it. So really, really do that product market fit before you go out in earnest and try to sell because um, what you view as a problem may not be what your potential customer views as a problem. Um, and so they may redirect you or or kind of um, help you focus on a different area that will actually solve um, something for a number of employers at the same time. So just be, be prepared for feedback. Why do people bypass that step? It seems so critical. Everybody knows it. It's like a dub, but do you feel like there's just too much pressure on the entrepreneur? They feel like they don't have time. They don't have money. Uh, you know, is it all of the above? Like, why are, are we skipping such an essential step? I think so. Yeah. Or maybe they didn't test it um, enough or they test it, you know, I guess some example, they may have gone out and spoken, spoken to benefit leaders at really small companies or tech companies or friends and family, and they may have given them some advice. But then when you go out and talk to a Fortune 50 manufacturing company, they're going to give you a, a much different perspective of what their benefit problems are, what their cost issues are, engagement issues and so forth, and what they're looking for is going to be very different. So. Um, Product market fit depends on the market you're talking to. <laughs> and while Hassan talked about product market fit, I, I would say, particularly for first-time entrepreneurs, uh, who you take money from and who is on your board and their experience is as critical as your product. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, are you working with people that um, have sort of been there and done that? Um, they can help open doors for you uh, in different industries or they can give you advice around um, you know, how to price your product. Uh, they can also give you advice around having the right expectations. So you know, taking money from someone who has never been in the benefit space, uh, is unaware of, of healthcare, 
and these folks telling you that, that, hey, you know, you should be able to get your product in a health plan in less than six months. Uh, you know, things of this nature uh, can also, I think, inadvertently lead to lead to bad uh, habits. So th those those people that you surround yourself with, um, again, your board and your first few hires, I, I think are just critical to your success. You've both talked about how important that the early stage is. I mean, really, that is the crucial time. You have to make sure you're doing the right thing with the right people to get. And Jeff, you said off camera before that so much of it is you know, making sure that you're at the right place at the right time. And sometimes, you know, things just don't happen that way. So you need people like you guys to be able to help you position yourselves to be in the right spot. And so what are some of those crucial things that people have to do? You said a little bit there, your first few hires are super important. Why are those things so important? And when they're looking for them, what do they do? How do you help guide these young CEOs into okay, you really, here's the step you cannot miss. You have to make sure we're, we're testing this in this ways. And you have to make sure that you have these types of people in your, in your realm. What are those things that you're telling these people cannot be missed or overlooked? Any team from a startup really needs to take the time to understand the, the, the problems from the employer's point of view. So the, the actual individual writing the check, we understand how that buyer works, what their day-to-day -day is, um, get a little bit of empathy for them and understand how the process works because you're not you're not going to be able to change it, so you have to work around it and with it. Um, and, and understand that benefit leaders, um, well, a they're pretty risk averse, uh, so they don't have to hire every new solution that comes along because they have a health plan that d delivers and drives like healthcare for their employees. Um, so you have to convince them that you have something that's close to a silver bullet, um, but they also have a day job to deal with. And so understand what the day job is and how you can actually help them be successful and look like a hero at their company. Um, and I think one of the other things we really need to spend some time is understanding the other benefits ecosystem partners, because um, when you're approaching uh, a benefits leader, so whether it's a 1,000 person company or a 500,000 person company, person company, they have a lot of other ecosystem partners, on the, especially in the benefit space. They may have 15, 20, 30 different vendors touching their employees, sending out apps, sending out communications, um, and your solution's got to fit in neatly um, with, with those other solutions. Um, you're not going to work around them. The, the rest of those solutions are not going to stop because you have something that you want to communicate to those employees eventually. So understand those and 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 be willing to work with those other partners because benefit leaders um, really lo really low that when they're compete when their vendors are competing against each other for time and money and space and so um, figure out how to fit in and work work, work kind of judiciously with those other employer solutions. But I think lastly, most importantly, is be zealous about showing results because. Coming to any new employer and saying, yes, I have this thing, I have this app, I have this technology, and it's going to save your company this amount of dollars um, without results that are repeatable and you actually show shown in some some peer-reviewed study ultimately, uh, but at least you it's been tested. Um, they're just words and employers can't risk their reputation or their time or money on words. They need to actually, you know, proven results. Um, they need ongoing engagement. They need you to save money. They need you to show health improvement. Um, and they need to know that what, and they're gonna put in a solution that employees are gonna use it over time. So 
um, you know, employers get really nervous about employees. They see a new solution, they sign up for it, they use it once, and then they never use it again. So that lasting, lasting, enduring quality of your product is what's going to drive interest from employers. So. Yeah, not too much I can add to that. That was terrific. Um, I'd say a couple things. One is a lot of early stage companies we work with they they pivot from from B to C to B to B. And in the B to C world, you know, you're just out there individually selling a product. And in the B2B world, I don't know if there's a more complex marketplace in the United States, other, you know, outside of healthcare. And so, you know, to Hassan's point, um, just sort of showing up and putting your stake in the ground of I've created a great product, employers come buy it. Um, you, you've really got to spend the time to understand, you know, how um, health plans work, you know, PBMs work, um, how other members of the ecosystem work. And um, again, you've got to surround yourself with with people who who also know that it's it's funny. So, sometimes I'll have conversations with early stage uh, CEOs and or VCs and, you know, their response will be, well, you know, we don't necessarily need to hire people from uh, healthcare because, you know, if they come from a CRM or an HCM, uh, you know, as long as they've sold to other enterprise companies, then they can replicate that. And benefits is a different language. Um, just, you know, you don't, and it's it's filled with fantastic acronyms. And so just to, f to finish this thought with yet another NFL analogy, you know, your CEO is, is the head coach and you've got to surround yourself by coordinators because the coordinators sometimes are calling the plays and you want to make sure that they're not calling the wrong play at the right time. And, and just getting people who have been in the big games before, um, I, just, I just can't say enough, is surrounding yourself with those folks um, uh, is just super critical. One question, hopefully it's quick, will, that comes off of that, is what about the psychometric sort of profile of the of the entrepreneur? Do you look at that at all in terms of their emotional intelligence and their psychological makeup? Because there's so much of the technical stuff you're talking about, but obviously it gets at how open is this person really to working with others? So not to get too detailed about it, but maybe you both can can help us understand at a reasonable level, you know, how important is that as you're assessing uh, entrepreneurs? Yeah, I'm laughing. I, I've sat through a few thousand pitches, and um, I, one day I'm going to write a coffee table book on the founder stories of CEOs. And uh, it, it's interesting because a lot of times they can alienate a benefits leader or HR team because they come in talking about how great they are, how great the school was they went to, um, all the great jobs they had before. And benefit leaders, they can't relate to 99% of that. And so sometimes it's a turnoff. So um, find, come in with some humility and respect for the people that you're talking to because they're coming from a much different place. They they get it that you're smart and you've, you've built something really impressive. Um, they just want to relate to you on a personal level. They don't care what school you went to or how many, you know, what your pedigree looks like. So yeah, it's just, it, it's humility and, and and coming in with your EQ first. Yeah, the only thing I would add is, you know, whether it's an undergrad or in graduate school, take some interpersonal communication courses because, you know, you know, while you've created a product, you've probably never had to fire a CTO uh, or you've never had to pull your CRO, you know, off the sidelines and, and have a, a pointed conversation with them around what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. 
Um, that's something that's a very much a new phenomenon with early stage uh, companies and new CEOs. And it's something that is not easily taught. So um, to San's point, having humility certainly is, is the first step. Uh, but also, um, if you don't know how to communicate both with your team and everyone that works for you, uh, that will be a that'll be a, a significant challenge. Um, so don't going into don't go into this just thinking I've created a great product and everything will solve itself. Uh, those those as we've said before those those first hires and managing those hires and being comfortable uh, being uncomfortable with having to have uncomfortable conversations with folks that report to you um, because. Uh, unfortunately, there are times where um, getting rid of folks who report to you that aren't good fits could be some of the uh, could be one of the best things to happen to your company in advancing it. But I run into a lot of CEOs who've just never hired and fired people, and so they inadvertently make mistakes uh, as a result of the lack of interpersonal communication. That's really fascinating. I think that's a point that probably we haven't ever talked about in relation to this, and it's so true. And along those same types of lines, whenever you're both working with early stage companies, many of these people are the first time working as a CEO and building their teams and doing all of these things. And so it's probably an interesting power dynamic with them too, that, you know, they feel like they should be the ones who are, who have all the answers, but then they really do need to lean on people like you who have been there and done that and been into those rooms and had those conversations and sat in those rooms as some of those conversations have happened. And so when a company comes to you, what is that process like? And are you working on all of these types of things with them to, do you sometimes have to have conversations with them that say, Hey, you have to know how to manage your team. And is that all part of the services that you're offering them to help them get to that next level of success? I want to jump in real quick because Hassan would never admit this, but one of the best things he does and in uh, in my experience in working with him, is he can tell a CEO, no, that's not a good idea. Uh, CEOs typically are surrounded by yes people around them, and again, because you know Hassan has street cred both from his prior lives and what he's doing now, um, getting being thoughtful and transparent around what is good and what is not and why I think is critical, and so. You know, I, I think that's what Hassan does such a good job of. He is not afraid uh, to tell people uh, why not to do something and uh, share with them while also maintaining a very a good relationship with the CEO. Yeah, no, thanks. Jeff. Well, and, and I, you know, we want to position these customers for success so that they when they when they're approaching clients in the market, that they've been vetted and tested and they they are capable of actually you know, reacting and working with with the customer um not just in a commercial sense but as as partners and so that they're showing up well to the marketplace so you know jeff and i are pretty adamant about that about the, the people we work with that they're actually um really driving value and in, into the ecosystem thank you guys for being here and having this conversation it was really enlightening to learn about all of this you're welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So fabulous. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.